0: All right. Welcome to the roast. It's Joe and Kelly at Cabin Coffee. And, uh, we wanted to bring in one of our customers today. We have, uh, in the River Prairie area here, we have a Veterans Memorial and we brought a veteran with, first of all, it's just, it's awesome to get to know our customers and the stories that they share, the fun that we have. It's, it's probably the best part of our job. Wouldn't you say, Joe?
1: I would. Um, these are people that I would not have met normally. And, uh, you know, it just so happens that when you are in customer service, because we serve people, not just coffee, um, you get to know people on a more personal level. And uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Stu um, uh, five years ago, and uh, he he's a delightful, um, just a delightful human. Uh, he's loved by my baristas too, and uh, you know, just. really solid guy and uh, if you met Stu you wouldn't know his background at all Um, just um, until you get to know the guy and you hear some of the stories and uh, he's just very impressive and uh, what he's done in his life is um, just pretty amazing and I think it's important for us to uh, remember that the people that have uh, you know served our country so that we can enjoy the freedoms of like a Cabin Coffee as a business owner that we are able to do. And uh, so, yeah, um, it's, it's just an honor to have to have Stu here. Uh,
0: well, thanks for coming in, Stu. And we want to thank you for your service. Thank you for being a loyal customer of Cabin Coffee. And uh, we'll get into it. I know Joe comes home all the time and shares stories with me, which is one of the reasons why I thought, let's let you share your stories with the world here. Joe, what's one of your favorite stories or so I can,
1: a- my favorite story is that I can te- uh, tell you how I met Stu. So we were at uh, the veterans Memorial. Uh, they were doing like a, uh, a, like a fundraiser or they were just doing a, uh, you know, it's for the veterans at the event center, river Prairie. And, uh, Stu walks up to me and says, uh, are you former military? And I said, no, I'm a for, former law enforcement. And we started talking and he's like, uh, so what do you do? I said, I have a coffee shop and, uh, he's like, well, where is it? And we walk over to the window and I point a hundred yards away from the river Perry center. I said, it's right there. Well, then he's like, oh, okay. So, uh, do you have Kenya coffee? Cause I only drink Kenya light roast and I order it online. And I said, yeah, I got Kenyan coffee and I roast it on site. So it's fresher than what you're buying. And he, you know, he kind of looked at me like, well, I've been drinking this for a long time. And I'm like, well, I think you should come over and give it a try. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, he, uh, walks in, I think probably a week later and, uh, start a conversation and uh made him his kenya light roast and uh he's been coming back ever since got him hooked and uh in that time it's been a really good uh relationship and uh i enjoy seeing him he's one of the customers that makes my days a little brighter when it's stressful
0: all right do i have to ask what's your side of the story <laughs> what did you think when you first met joe
2: i said uh look at that big dude over there you know and and uh then we got talking coffee and yeah I'd, exactly like you said I ordered that from a online company and uh, he said well we can roast it right there and I said really so I started I think I got a pound and and now it's increased to two pounds every time you order <laughs> and it's very convenient because I can call up and either I can either text you and leave a message and Gracie will make it or i'll come in and order but it's it's been really a blessing to just whenever i need coffee i call up and say well when do you want to pick it up maybe tomorrow and there it is and if you look at my calendar you will see a very
1: uh throughout the week uh, coffee was stew. um it's become one of my weekly events and uh you know some of those meetings you dread in the calendar, not one that I dread. I look forward to it and get to hang out with my friend and uh tell stories and drink some coffee and hang out and get cabin coffee. So all in all, this is one of the uh reasons why we've opened up Cabin Coffee because remember people it is about the people and not about just serving coffee. So uh, and uh you know, we get to I get to serve Stu for and thank him for his service uh to our country.
0: Well I want I want the audience to get to know you a little bit better, Stu. So, you were in the military. Correct. In the army.
2: Correct.
0: Okay. Tell us how you decided to go to the army.
2: Um, I have an older brother that was in the Air Force. I was going to UW Whitewater, majoring at nothing. <laughs> uh, my dad was uh, uh sold Beechcraft aircraft in. Uh, Rockford, Illinois, and I would work down there in the summers on the flight line and uh, start taking some flying lessons. And I told Joe, a friend of mine, his last name was Boss, kept saying, Stu, I'm getting these notices from the Selective Service. And I said, well, if they're going to your house, I'm not worrying about it. That was my smart. (laughs) But one day I was at, at the airport. I don't know if I'd taken my lesson for the day, but my dad said well maybe you should we should go down and see the recruiter and see about flight school or something so i went down to the army recruiter and uh, i was kind of naive they wanted i didn't realize how bad they wanted helicopter pilots so i tell the i do a little presentation at uh, Crestview academy for my grandkids you know so i always tell them that you know the the test was they showed you a rock and an airplane they said which one of these will fly and I picked the airplane so I got into flight school
0: <laughs> Nice
2: So
1: you weren't drafted you 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 volunteered and you are were a Huey helicopter pilot uh, and you know I think in all the movies it portrays uh, just the the amount of stress that would take and what your responsibilities were um, and you were uh, you transported troops and you received a Purple Heart is that correct? Correct. Okay.
2: We we s- inserted troops, we flew supplies, sometimes we did medevac uh, all, all kinds of things you know, was uh, I was one of the older guys, I would think I turned 21 and boot camp and the other guys are 19 and 20, you know, but, um, you get out of flight school. Uh, I went to Savannah, Georgia, then I went to Vietnam and I kind of a hot dog thinking you're bad, you know, and then you get over there and you've got all the extra weight of crew chief and gunner and two M60s and, all that stuff, so it's like learn all over again. Everything you thought you were really good at, you don't feel very confident in, you know. And so we were way up north by the DMZ, uh, probably the first 30, 40 days I flew once. We were filling sandbags to put around our tent otherwise. and And, uh, and it's, some of it's a people thing like, It's a little relevant. We've talked about people management and how you treat people. And it's the same thing. Uh, The first guy I flew with was terrible. He yelled and screamed and just, I was scared to death, you know. And then the next time I flew, maybe a month later, uh, I had a different fella, And he said, well, Stu, this is how we do this and how you come into an LZ, a landing zone. And, and, uh. So the person makes all the difference in the world, you know, and it just got better and better. And and there was one little fella that was our company instructor pilot, and uh, I was having difficulties coming over the tops of the trees into an LZ and and running out of uh, power in a sense, and he was, said, well, just do this and this, and that, phew, that was it.
0: Wow. <coughs> that sounds scary.
1: Yeah, uh, and how old were you, said 21 at the time? Yes. That's an unbelievable amount of responsibility for a 21-year-old. I remember when I was 21, Stu, and uh, I wasn't in charge of anything like that. I was just trying to navigate college and uh, show up on time for practice, so we've had very different experiences at our 21 years of age. Uh, So you uh, received a Purple Heart uh, for being wounded, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that story?
2: We landed in an LZ or landing zone. It was a larger one. Uh, we shut down for a while waiting for this. We might have been flying. Uh, it was called Charlie Charlie or command and control. And so uh, I went. I took my fatigue shirt off. I had my OD green T-shirt. You know, when I was behind the helicopter... I hadn't fired an M-16 on automatic, you know, so I was back there doing John Wayne. And uh, and I went back up to the front of the helicopter and I saw explosions coming my way. And so my training said, Stu, you should hit the ground. But I looked around and everybody else was running. So I said, well, that's what I'll do. So I took a step, and and one blew up in front of me, and it felt like I was in a sandstorm. I have told Joe, it's funny, I was what you call a gearhead. I had a roadrunner, you know, four-speed, so I I ran behind this pile of dirt with this guy, and my arm was all red, and I assumed it was, you know, just a piece of skin holding it on, you know, but I couldn't move my (laughs) wrist. So the only thing I worried about was I looked at this guy and said, I can't shift my car. <laughs> and then after that, I probably didn't fly. I, I you know, hit my radial nerve, so I couldn't move my wrist too much. My friends called me the claw because I carried my coffee cup like this, you know. <laughs> and then uh, long story short, I went down to see a neurologist. He said, come back in a month. And So you're sitting around. And then they set me down. To the southern tip of Vietnam to be a tech supply officer that would order uh, parts, skids, and all kinds of stuff for helicopter. I got back. Now it's maybe six weeks I haven't flown. And uh, they said, We'll go back to the doctor. So I'm back to the doctor. Well, he was uh, ETS, he went back to the States, so there's a new doctor. And he said, hold your hand out and pushed on it. And it was not bad. But he said, come back in a month. Well, so I went back to the company area and said, I'm I'm free to fly. You know, I'm not going to do this anymore. But I hadn't flown for so long. I had no confidence. Mm-hmm. And so the David Strickland was a fellow's name. That was our instructor pilot. And he said, hey, Stu, do you want to go fly tomorrow? And I said, sure. And so he said, I'm just going to do... We called it ash and trash, you know, mail run and do some stuff. And and he said, uh, the aircraft commander sits in the left seat. So he said, Stu, you get in the left seat because I haven't flown right seat for a long time and I want to make sure I'm proficient. So I said, oh, okay. And we go flying around and I'm trying to just hover and, you know, like i do not feeling it. And... and we probably flew for an hour and a half or something. he came back and he said, well, Stu, that's your right. You're an aircraft commander now. And it was like, man, the confidence went from below <laughs> zero to way up in the sky. I thought, Really? And, whew, and uh, that was another miraculous turning point. And,
0: Good thing he didn't tell you. He didn't tell you ahead of time. You just went up and did it.
2: Yeah, we just went, thought we were messing around and, you know, the left seat and right seat are about as close as we are, but when you're in that thing, it seems like the left seat's way over there, you know. And But that was uh, a miracle, and then from then on it was, I turned into a hot dog.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can see that. Um, just by knowing you for the last five years, I can, yeah, get a feel for you a little bit. So how many hours are did you fly uh, in Vietnam?
2: I got just about a 1,000, which is, uh, I'm pretty proud of it. It's way up there for somebody who didn't fly for like three months you were there or three and a half months, you know, altogether. So we were limited to 160 hours a month. Then you had to take a few days off. And uh, so uh, it was 952 hours, something like that.
1: It's very impressive. Um, so, another story that I recall from you uh, is uh, after the war, um, you were back in the states, um, but you kind of kept an eye on, had some idea where your, where your helicopter was that you flew over in Vietnam, um, and then you had the ability to uh, find that uh, that aircraft and take it for a spin. So, you want to tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I belong to, it's called the Vietnam Helicopter Pilots Association and they have a register of all the aircraft and And uh, <clears throat> I don't know how many years ago it was, there was a fellow named Justin Seaworth and he lived in Reno, I believe, and somehow I got a hold of him and he owned the helicopter. And he said, why don't you come out sometime and I thought, well, you know, to fly to Reno, rent a car, go there for a few hours, come back. I didn't think it was worth it at the time, so I I declined. And then uh, years later, he contacted me and said he sold the aircraft to a company called Haverfield Aviation in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And my brother, Joe and I kid about, was in this Army security for... 20 years, and then he was uh, worked for NSA, and he lived in Maryland. So we were. Con- I was trying to contact this place, and uh, so I went to their website, and I was trying to just say, you know, you have the helicopter, I flew it, and all this stuff, and then they contacted us and said, well, come out. <coughs> Excuse me, on such and such a date, and so I flew out to Maryland. Jeff and I drove up there. Uh, met these people. They were just super wonderful and, uh, put us up in a little motel downtown. And then the next day we went out and it's blue and white now my helicopter, but it's, it's mine. Six, seven, one, seven, three, nine, one. Wow. And so we went flying for about an hour and a half or something. And,
0: and did you fly it? Oh yeah. Yeah. After all this time, you you had not flown it for how many years? Fifty years. And you just popped in there like it was riding a bike?
2: Yes, exactly. Wow. So we flew all over, came back, and then they had a big uh, potluck thing in the hangar, and it was just miraculous. And there's a lady there from a small college that taught journalism, and she wrote for the Gettysburg Times or something. And so the next morning... Jeff and I got up, had breakfast at the motel, and then we were going to drive back to his house, and And here's this newspaper there with my picture on the front. It said, uh, this is a real blessing, you know, and, and it shows Jeff and I, and but I've, so I, I don't know if I showed you that, but I have the <coughs> newspaper and stuff, so. Very cool. So I try not to take them all, but I took a bunch
1: so how different was your helicopter I mean obviously you know it's been turned into a civilian purposes but and it was military I mean I'm 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 in just intrigued by what it was like to take the controls again and I mean did you remember everything did you need a refresher or was it so ingrained into your training that you could just take over do you remember the way it, sh- it sounded I mean was there nuances about the machine that you remembered it took you back there
2: oh it's just sitting in the seat, you automatically know the collective cyclic, the pedals, the radios, where the gauges are, instruments, you know. And, you know, just like this fella, his name was Jim, that was their pilot. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was an interesting fella. He put himself through a, a flight training, you know, to become a helicopter mm-hmm. pilot. So we took off and he. He took off from the hangar naturally, and then I took the controls and we shot a landing at some place out in the like a runway and flew around and stuff and and uh, the like the operations manager's name was Stan was in the back and then a maid that fell and so it was kind of funny because I heard him say, "Hey, this guy's still a good stick," you know, and <laughs> and uh, then I found out that. When I was trying to find information out, they said I was actually filling out an application. You know, <laughs> well, there you go. so. But it was uh, yeah, that was once in a lifetime. I mean, I don't know anybody that's got to fly their same aircraft and and uh, my crew chief. I sent him some pictures. He still lives in California. His name's Jesse Zendehaz, and we keep in contact once in a while. And uh, it's funny. I have a picture of him. You know, like when we were so young Mm -hmm. but it's kind of amazing (laughs) that is very cool
1: I think uh, some of the stories I've heard from Stu in our time hanging out here um, at the coffee shop have just puts it into a different perspective of a different time and uh, uh, answering the call and you know putting yourself in harm's way and just uh, I'm I'm in awe of the person that you are now um, and just your accomplishments I mean it's just unbelievable um, and these are the things that uh, people tend to forget this day and age. And uh, now you, because of this podcast, forever in the annals of time, Stu, <laughs> we'll be able to hear your story so long after me and you are gone. So, um, yeah, it's just great. So <clears throat> you, when you were done with the war, you were there for how long? A year. Uh, one year. Okay. And you came back to the States.
2: Walk me through that transition. Um. Quick rapidly I got back to the States, most people become flight instructors. And so when I got back there was a, an abundance of returning pilots, so they said, Well, Stu, we're gonna stick in some maintenance company. So I was a launch officer. I'd show up and walk out on the flight line and then the instructors with their students if they found something wrong with the aircraft, you know, I'd say, Well, we don't have any spare, so they'd go back and uh it was a pretty easy life you know and then somehow i got into to be a platform instructor and i can yeah quite well but it, <laughs> when, when somebody says do a speech an informative speech tomorrow i'm just not, oh. it's like got tell
0: like a me what to to,
2: yeah tell me something to talk about and i'll go with it <laughs> and so i was doing that you know the final one, I think, had to be 45 minutes or whatever. And and everybody's working, doing copies and all this stuff. And I don't have a thing, just nothing. <laughs> and and Joe might know I'm a seat-of-the-pants person. So <laughs> I, I walked in front of the class and there was a ream of paper. So I, I just grabbed a bunch of blank papers and handed them out like you're supposed to hand your copies of your outline. And <laughs> I said, just don't say anything. And I got up there and. Did my thing and I went back in the back with a. I think the instructor was a captain and he just was praising me. Everything was just absolutely perfect. And I, I said, Sir, I have to tell you, I didn't have a clue, you know. <laughs> and then back in the day, Senator Proxmire from Wisconsin was the head of armed forces or something. And my mom ended up writing him a letter and said, My son's. Got all these medals and stuff, and he's not even flying. So I thought, what do I do now? So I went to this major, I think it was, and said my mom wrote the senator. Of course, there was panic. And, and then I got into instructor school right away. The only kind of regret is I wanted to have teach people like a Joe or something that you can really kid around with, and we had the Vietnamese. So some of that was talking to them, like the load ranger and Tonto. You would say, "Ho, oh, what way you take off? i take off this way. Then he'd go that way. But. Okay. So I messed with them a lot. I told Joe, <laughs> you know, we'd do...
0: I don't know if you'd want Joe in a, your class.
2: Oh, we would have you? a hoot.
1: <laughs> 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 we would have fun, regardless of what we were doing. So, you are get out of the military then, um, and I, I have met your lovely wife and your daughter. So let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, let's get
2: out of the Vietnam War, and uh,
1: what have you done after a, after all that?
2: I was uh, I was a gearhead, and I had a Harley back in the Easy Rider days with so a <laughs> extended front end and all that stuff, you know. And so I drove my poor dad nuts because. He's aviation. He wanted me to stay in aviation. And and here's Stu with his roadrunner and Harley working at a gas station, you know. And uh, and I was floundering around, and I, I'd know Janet a little bit. And uh, so everybody always came to my mom's or my parents' house. But my mom was the one that she'd talk to anybody just... She was super, so uh, one day Janet and her friend, I think, Doris, yeah, we're over there, Dolores, Doris, anyway. So being the the brave person I am, I said, Mom, ask Janet if she'd like to go out and get a drink tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) because I was chicken. So we did, and then, uh, let's see, I think I... I was going to go back to Savannah, Georgia and have a job there. Janet was going to go to nurse's training, and we got down there, and that all fell through. We came back. I worked as assistant manager to Ben Franklin for a while, and then I got a job at Stay Rights and and uh, met some guys there. I was there like eight years, and got into manufacturing and scheduling and all that stuff, and that's kind of what I did most of my career.
0: All I have to say is, thank goodness for moms. She, she wrote to the senator. She yeah. found you your wife. <laughs> I mean, we owe her a lot, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I believe that. And your wife is a sweetheart, um, and she puts up with you, so she must be. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I get it. Um, but so <clears throat> what are you doing with yourself these days now that you're retired? Besides hanging out with me no, at Cabin Semi-retired. Semi-retired.
2: I have a license to spray herbicides and stuff, so I do. Okay. I still do. So I did that f- kind of part time with my best friend back home for like twelve years. So I still do that to some people I know. I'll say I'll spray your yard, and and uh, uh, I work on vehicles a little bit and stuff, but that's kind of my part time stuff. I'm a. We talk about yards. I'm really. Ain't you know, my, I fertilized mine yesterday again. You did,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. So I uh, get my uh, my landscaping advice from Stu whenever I tell him like, hey, I got this going on, and I got brown spots here, and this, that, and um, I can usually get a pretty good rendition as to what's going on with uh, my grass by talking to Stu. He's uh, Johnny on the spot when it comes to my grass needs. So uh,
0: we might have to work out a barter system here, a little trade for some Kenyan coffee.
1: Yeah, i do it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, so at Cabin Coffee, we do uh, we serve people, um, not just coffee. And uh, you know, Steve is one of the guys that uh, I've got to know doing this, and uh, just a tremendous person. Uh, thanks for his service for all he's done. Um, and to think we met over a bag of coffee five years ago, and uh, I consider you one of my friends now. And if I don't see you for a week, I start to worry about you and making sure you're okay. And usually send you a text or two to make sure that you're still with us and that there's nothing going on that I'm not aware of. Cause we both have had rotator cuff surgery. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, he he tells me I'm young. I just tell him that, uh, it may be a newer model, but the miles were harder on this (laughs) frame than than on on a lot of people's, but, uh, uh, you know, and it just kind of goes back to the river prairie. Uh, and, uh, we have just that veterans Memorial and it's such a great place. And they've done so much work with that. And, uh, you know, I think it's uh, just great to have somebody on here who served our country um, at such a young age and such a dangerous uh, uh, position in, in the Army. And, uh, Stu, it's always a pleasure talking to you, and I do enjoy our conversations all the time. And uh, you're your lovely wife and uh, your daughter are just great people, and this is thank what, you, kind of what Cabin Coffee is all about. This That's is what, right. It's what we do. And it's, it's not here's your coffee, there's the door. It's a uh, sit down and have a cup of coffee. We're gonna we're gonna sit down and we're gonna we're gonna talk a while, get to know each other, and uh, you know the atmosphere here is allows that to happen. Tell me how your day's going. If you got some problems, what can we do about it? Absolutely. So, well, I guess thank the-
0: you, Stu, for being his therapist, also. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, it takes her off the it, it gets her off the hook. So.
0: Yeah. No, I appreciate you coming in. Uh, we did roast you a bag of your Kenyan light roast. Gracie did that because mm-hmm. Joe sent her a text saying Stu's coming in. She automatically said she'd have the Kenyan coffee roasted for you. So Thank we got you. That. Absolutely. And appreciate you. Thanks for being a loyal customer. We're celebrating five years and uh, can't thank you enough, as well as all the listeners and people that support us here in the community.